welcome to our Victory Outreach Boston podcast. We pray you are blessed, encouraged, and challenged with this message. This morning, I'm going to speak to you on the school of faith. In Matthew 17, 20, as you turn there, Matthew, if you don't know, maybe you're a new Christian. It's in between Genesis and Revelation. I hope you, thank you for getting that. Thank you. And this week has been a pretty interesting week for me and my wife. We've been believing God for certain things within our family. And we're starting to see the signs of them come to pass. You know, my son today, prayerfully, he gets on a plane to Philadelphia. and He'll be staying right there in the Victory Arch Philadelphia Men's Home. And we've been really believing God for that for a long time. And I can't share the other praise report because... Um, because I'm still praying for my daughter. Um, she shared some good news with us. And uh, so we're believing God. So we're starting to see God's faithfulness. But it was many, many, many prayers of faith that as we stepped out to do God's work, that he was going to be faithful to take care of our business. So this morning, we really want to inspire and instill within you a, a spirit of faith. Now, Matthew 17, 20, and I'm going to have you stand for this, this one scripture. In the old days, the preacher would sit and the audience would stand for hours. Some of you go to concerts and you don't sit down. They just went to a Fred Hammond concert. I heard Pastor Eric never sat down the whole time. He was dancing. Matthew 17, 20 says, You do not have enough faith, Jesus told them, speaking to his disciples. But I tell you the truth. If you have faith even as small as a mustard seed, even as small as a what? How many of you have your mustard seeds? Now, in this bag, not, it's not all, my, all of them. It's one of these. Look how small that is. Look at it. Look, you know, I used to do this in the old days. You guys know what that means, right? You're like, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it would move. Nothing would be impossible for you. Father, we just thank you this morning, God, that you've called us to live a life by faith. God, your word says that the just shall not live by sight, but by faith. God, many of us need a, a, an increase. Many of us need greater levels of faith, God. But we ask you right now that we won't stay the same. But our faith will continue to grow day by day until the day you come back for us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody says, look at your neighbor and say, man, I'm looking good. And you can go ahead and take your seats. Got to say it with confidence, though. I don't know about you, but one time I was shot, busted, and disgusted. Couldn't be trusted. I should have been a rapper, but... Um, Oh, man, the keyboardist dismissed himself. All right, praise the Lord. This morning, I, I, I want to speak to you on the, the subject of faith. We live in a generation that they say this young generation, especially in the city of Boston or the New England territories, um, is one of the fastest growing atheist regions in the United States, agnostic to atheism. atheism. And what they're really looking for, what people are really looking for, whether they're doing it through other religions, because not all religion, not, there is no other religion besides faith in Jesus Christ 
That is the path to heaven. The Bible is very clear. Jesus is the only one that has ever said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Buddha didn't say that. Muhammad didn't say that. Noah, Confucius was so confused, he could never say that. The greatest philosophers of our time had no answers to the meaning of life. But Jesus came and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So in our generation, they are starting to deconstruct their faith, and, which is a very dangerous thing because when you don't have a life of faith, then everything is permissible. And we're starting to see that in society, everything is permissible. Do what you feel. Do what you want. But what they really need to see, what the world needs to see, is a genuine faith in God. Now, I'm going to take you to a story in the Old Testament. In the book of 1 Kings, it's probably one of my favorite stories in the Bible. 1 Kings 17.8, you don't have to stand, just follow me. I'm going, to read, I'm going to read about eight scriptures. It's okay to hear God's word. Just tell yourself that I need to hear God's word. It says, then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Dorchester. I mean Zarephath. Near the city of Sidon. There is a widow there who will feed you. I have given her my instructions. Now this is God talking to Elijah. So he went to Zarephath and as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, would you please bring me a cup of water? And as she was going to get it, he called her, bring me a little piece of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord God that I do not have a single piece of bread in the house and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook my last Jamaican beef patty to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. I want to tell somebody this morning, don't be afraid of what you're facing. He said, don't be afraid. In fact, it has an exclamation point. Go ahead and cook the last meal, but bake me a little loaf of bread first. Afterwards, there will be enough food for you and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there will be plenty of flour and oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and crops again. So, uh, so she did as Elijah said. And she and Elisha and her son continued to eat of her supply of flour and oil for many days. For no matter how much they used, there was always enough left in the containers. Just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Now, I, I, you know... I don't know how many of you have doubts. How many of you ever, have ever doubted the Lord? Raise your hands in the air. Like you, now some of you are, are spiritual giants because you didn't raise your hands. So, wow, teach us. You'll preach next Sunday. There's been many moments in my 23 years serving the Lord that I've had many doubts. My first year of salvation, I, was, I didn't grow up in a Christianity. You know, my lifestyle before Christ was, I was you know, my, son, my kids are PKs, preacher's kids. I was a DK. I was a demon's kid. That was pretty funny, I thought. <laughs> I did whatever I, you know, so before Christ, I, I didn't really know a lot. But when I came to Christ, for my first year, I battled my salvation. Am I, could, could God really save me? Me! I didn't doubt God. I just, can he save a nobody like me? Useless. That's how I felt. For the first year, I battled and I battled. And it, it, I read the story. I thought it was pretty funny. He said, a man fell off, off of a cliff and managed to grab a tree limb on the way down. The following conversation ensued. He looked up to heaven and said, is anyone up there? I am here and I am the Lord. 
do you have faith in me? Yes, Lord, I have faith, but I can't hang on much longer. That's all right, the Lord says. If you really have faith, you have nothing to worry about. I will save you. Just let go of the branch. At that moment, he paused. Then he replied, is there anyone else up there? How many of us have ever felt like that? When God tells us to do something, we're not willing to let go because our trust and our faith has been shaken. Now imagine for a moment that you had, have absolute perfect faith and confidence in God. Imagine just for a moment. The Bible says all we need is, 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 is faith as a mustard seed. Now you see how little that is. But imagine if we, our faith were to grow to greater extents. Imagine it be unshakable, perfect faith and, and perfect confidence in God. Even when life was rocky. How many of you know that life gets a little bumpy sometimes? And if it hasn't, it's about to. And if you're just coming out of bumpiness, thank God, because you're about to go into more bumpiness. You're never left at a place where you're not challenged to grow your faith. What about how does your faith when things don't go your way or when circumstances only grow worse? Have you ever been there before? You start praying for your children, but they get worse. Imagine if the natural response in your mind and heart would be God. God is in control. He's going to work it out. He has a perfect plan for my life, so I would just wait patiently and see what he has in store for me. Think of how different life would be. Imagine your insecurities being placed by increased confidence. Imagine the ability to remain calm when facing temptations and adversities and even tragedy. Imagine having no fear for your family, your career, your relationships, your marriage, and your finances. Have you ever met somebody like this that had what seemed to be mind-boggling, bulletproof, unshakable faith in God? Don't they, don't they get you mad sometimes? Like, man, don't you ever get down? Don't you ever doubt God? Do you know, do you know any individuals like that? They, they're, they're up even when they're going through horrible ordeals. They're, there's something inescapably attractive about people like that, and we wish we had faith as strong as theirs. But we can also feel irritated by them. We would, we would like to try to rattle their childlike faith to bring them back to the real world and with the rest of us. It's just too hard to believe anyone could have such absolute confidence in God. But let me tell you here this morning, this is exactly the kind of faith God wants to develop in every single one of us here this morning. He wants to explode our faith. He wants to grow our faith. He wants our faith to go to the next level. God wants to stretch our faith so that it will affect every single facet of our lives. So we must understand as God's children that we have been enrolled. How many of you want to grow in the things of God? Lift your hands in the air. Well, then I got, I got news for you. You've been enrolled in the school of faith. What is faith? The Bible is clear. What is faith? Hebrews 11 explains it. It is the assurance that what we hope for, are you hoping for anything? Is anybody, everybody, are you hoping for something to take place in your life? Raise your hands in the air like you don't care. It is the assurance that we hope for is going to happen is the evidence of things that we cannot see. That there is evidence of the things that we cannot see that God has promised us that we are going to see them come to pass. The Bible says it is assurance. See, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. 
There is no glory for God in, in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends, written by the famous George Mueller. Faith begins where your power ends. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but there's been some things in my life where I say, God, I cannot do it. I can't change my children's hearts. I can't change certain situations, God. But I know that you can build my faith. Does anybody want to grow in their faith this morning? Because the Bible, And it's important because the Bible says, and Paul writes about those whose faith has been shipwrecked or has grown stagnant. Now, what does faith do for us? Romans 5.1, I was reading this yesterday, and I kind of found, you know, faith does a lot of things for us. It heals us, it, 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 you know, it uses us to bless others, but in Romans 5.1 it says it makes us right with God. How many of you want to be right with God? That's why I came, I knew I wasn't right with God. You don't have to tell me I was a sinner, I already knew I was a sinner. I just, when I came to the Lord, I said, just, I want to be right with you. And if you're real, then help me be right with you. But it also gives us peace. I was searching for peace. I had no peace. I couldn't go to sleep at night. I would have dreams for like years. I would have the same dream over and over. I had no peace. No matter what I did, no matter how, many, how much money I made, no matter how many relationships I went into, I had no peace. Hold on a second. I'm going to turn this off because it's bugging me here. Faith also brings us into a place of undeserved privilege and gives us hope for the future. Now, I don't know where you were before you met the Lord, but I had no, I had no hope for my future. I had made decisions because I was insecure. I had no belonging. I was lost. I was hurting. I made decisions that led me to a place where I didn't, couldn't see a very bright future. But the moment I began to get right with God and he gave me his peace, I began to see a glimpse of hope for my future. I, I didn't, I, at that time, I didn't know I was going to be married. I didn't know I was going to have children. I didn't know I was going to preach the gospel. But I started to have a glimpse of hope because of the faith when I, when I uh, declared my faith in the Lord he made me right with him and he gave me peace and he gave me a beautiful future I was 22 years old when I came into the Christianity 22 years old all messed up in my mind but God gave me peace he gave, made me right with him and he gave me a future but it, but faith also develops endurance strength of character confident hope of salvation your faith moves mountains is there any mountains in your lives don't look at the neighbor, your neighbor and say, that's you. You're my mountain. A couple of wives look at their husbands and say, move out of my way, mountain. Nothing. When addressing believers, the Bible never speaks of a faith that has plateaued, stagnated, halted, or stopped growing, or even come to full maturity. I know people, well, I'm at full maturity in my Christianity. There's no more things for the Lord to teach me. Well, I could tell you right now that that faith is dead. 2 Corinthians 10.15 says, as your faith continues to grow. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 says, because your faith is growing more and more. Luke 17, the disciples tell Jesus, increase our faith. There is always a desire to grow stronger and deeper in the things of God, to grow your faith more and more. I, God has done great things for me and my family for the last 23 years, but I know that he's not done yet. There's still more for God to do within my life, my family, our ministry within the city of Boston. I'm not satisfied. I want God to do more. I, mm, I'm waiting for the day somebody knocks on my door and says, here's a million dollars and walks away. Until that happens, we're going to continue to work and teach people how to give to the Lord so that we could do what God's called us to do. 
Yes, we talk about giving because to give, it takes faith. How come it got quiet? I knew this was about money. Well, money is never a matter of, it's never a matter of, you know, it's always a matter of the heart when you talk about any kind of money. The Bible speaks of five levels of faith. No faith, Mark 4.40. Weak faith, Romans 14.12. Little faith, Matthew 6.3. Strong faith, Romans 1.12. And great faith, Matthew 10. Great faith. That's the kind of faith I want to have. How about you? I want to have great faith. Great faith when we're on the streets preaching the gospel. We see conversions. We see people crying. We see people say, listen, we, 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 when we heard, the mu- we heard a testimony of somebody that heard the music and, and they said something drew me to what I heard and, and, and they were, their relationship with Christ was restored. I want to have faith that, ha- that believes for others as well. If you were to evaluate your faith this morning, what kind of faith would you find within your life? In our text, it says there was a widow in Zarephath who was in need. There was, there was a, the, the widow wasn't even, she wasn't even Jewish or Hebrew. She wasn't even a daughter of Israel. In Luke 14 and 426, says, I assure you that there were many widows in, in, in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was, no, there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Why do you think that God didn't send them to send Elijah to the, the children or the women of Israel, the widows of Israel? I believe for the same reason he was sharing to the disciples in Luke 4 that there was no faith in Israel. We want God to move, but we need to have faith. Every time we step into this sanctuary, God, what are you going to do this morning? If you come in, oh, I know they're going to sing three songs. They're going to do tithes and offering. They're going to do video announcements. If you come in with that kind of attitude, you're not going to grow in your faith. But if you come in and say, God, I want you to do something. I don't want to leave the same. I want my faith to grow. Then, my friend, God will meet you at your very expectation. I don't know about you, but I don't go to a baseball game wanting my team to lose. Now, I know they're going to lose today. There's expectation, there's faith that is brewing up. I can't wait to be in the house of God so my faith could be built. See, God is looking for those. He isn't looking for people who are content, satisfied, mediocre, who have arrived. But he's looking for some people that, who, who are not satisfied, who say, I, I haven't received everything that God has for me yet. I'm not finished. People who say, God, stretch me, break me, grow my faith. I might not, you might have no faith right now. You might have weak faith. We might have little faith. We might have strong faith. But I want to grow my faith. No matter where you find yourselves, we may have faith the size of a mustard seed, but we must realize that God is looking for those who want to grow their faith. The Bible says he's given every person a measure of faith. But it doesn't say your, your measure of faith has to stay there. Everybody in this room has a measure of faith. Maybe you, even the Bible is very clear, it says no faith. Some of us have no faith. It's just religion. We come out of religion. We come out of, we have weak faith or little faith. We haven't seen God do many miracles, so we're, our faith is a little brittle. But how does God grow our faith? And we continue to look at the widow. From my personal news experience, there are a few lessons that, to take note of that have always been, seemed to surface when we, are, we are, when we are in God's school of faith. First is the, is the situation lesson. Whenever God wants to grow your faith, there's, there's situations that begin to arise. I seen this magazine and it showed um, a golfer, familiar golfer, Tiger Woods. How many of you are familiar with Tiger Woods? Not for the bad stuff, but for the good stuff. He was one of the greatest golfers of all time, I believe, right? I mean, I would have beat him. You know, I do 18 holes. Never mind. 
There's a magazine and it showed golfer Tiger Woods on a golf green. He was leaning down to line up a putt. He was trying to line up a putt. He's holding his putter in his left hand and he's just set down his ball. His gaze was highly focused on the hole. At the top of the page are the words, words, waiting for ideal conditions is rarely an option. Only after reading those words did, did, did I realize that in the foreground of the picture is a man wearing, a heavy rain, wearing heavy rain gear, squeezing a lot of water off the green in preparation for the putt. See, evidently Woods was playing his putt in the midst of a rainstorm, yet it didn't seem to be phasing him a bit. See, if you look at this portion we talk about right here, the economy was bad. The rent was high. How many of you live in Dorchester? There was no job opportunities. At least the jobs that you want, they're all taken. She had no food. There was a famine. Her EBT didn't work. Her cell phone rate was high. Her, the gas was high. Maybe even in, like we look at our time, drug, drug use and, and medication is at all time high. That's the answer to everything. Oh, I, I feel a little, you know, I don't feel 100% today. Well, here's some meds for you. Take them. Then you're hooked for the rest of your life. These things are rampant and affecting our nation. Fatherless homes. I just read an article yesterday that we are in a crisis of fatherless homes in America. Where are the fathers at? Does that sound familiar? It doesn't seem like a great time to grow someone's faith. 2 Timothy says, in 2 Timothy 4, 2 says, be instant, in season and out of season. Instant means to be at hand, to be ready and to be present. See, this widow, when we find her in this text, she's not even present. She's just waiting to die. She said it. I'm going to gather my sticks. I'm going to make my oatmeal. Me and my son are going to eat our last meal, and we're going to die. She wasn't even present anymore. And there's many Christians here this morning that you're not even present. Oh, you come to church. You check in. But there's nothing happening in here. There's no stirring of your spirit. Am I in the right place? This is a hard one. You come in, but there's no change taking place. There's no challenges in your life. We, you, we talk about altar calls. You don't respond anymore. There's because you're not present anymore. It says be instant. In season, that means when the times are good, when they're praising you, when they say, oh, good job. You did a good job. Ushery, nice hat, Brother Leo. That's a nice, nice. You're not wearing baseball caps no more. Look at what God has done in your life. You don't look like a hip-hop gangster. You look like a man of God. In the good times, when you're getting the checks in the mail, and you got a good job, and your kids are all act, they're acting good. But my friend, it says, but also be instant and be ready and be present when the times are bad, when your children don't want to listen, when your marriage is on the rocks, because that's when the greatest time for your faith to grow is. That's, that's the time to me it seems like God wants to grow your faith the most. And there have been many nights... On my face in the morning, God, do something in my family. God, do something in this city. Many, many nights, many prayers of faith that are going forward. And many of, you, many of you are here because of somebody's prayer of faith. Prayer of faith. There's never going to be a great time. Well, I'll tithe when uh, I get a job. I started tithing before I had a job. I was just so grateful for what God did to me. No, I didn't have a lot of money. My tithe was like a dollar. I'll get $10, I'll tithe a dollar. I said, God, I, don't, I can never repay you. That's not what this is about. I want to be obedient to your word, but I also am grateful. I'm grateful, God. I had, to, I had to learn. It wasn't a great time for me to give, 
But that dollar turned into $2,000. That $2,000 turned into $10,000. We've given the most amount the last few years than I've ever given in my life. Why? Because I took the opportunity to grow my faith when situations weren't the best. If you want to grow your faith, you got to look at when the time. So I just had, we've been preaching, you know, we've been preaching by faith that some of you are going to start. I had a few conversations with people that want to start their own businesses within our church. And in my mind, I was like, look at man, everything's coming to pass that God has shown us. God put that in their heart. We just planted seed, they watered it, they probably already had ideas, and they're starting to move forward in it. There was two meetings, two phone calls I got this week in one meeting where we're, even one of the guys, one of our sound guys, there's only one sound guy, you know who it is. I'm like, man, you need to start your own business, bro. And he looked at me like it was impossible. But we're starting to see, we're starting to see that, that, that. You know, in his situation, it might not be the best timing. It might not be the best, but, but we're going to plant the, the seed of faith so that God could water it. And we're going to start to see many of you start to rise up and say, listen, I, I got a promotion that I didn't deserve. I, I, not because of I didn't, my education limited me, my this and that limited me, but because of the word of God, I've been promoted. I'm overseeing multiple people. I'm starting my own business. I got an inheritance. See, how do you know... The second factor is trial and trouble factor. It's never the best situation, but sometimes God's going to grow your faith through trial and trouble. Oh, you, know, you thought I was going to say he's going to grow your faith when things are good. They okayed your housing. You have money in the bank. No. Romans 5.3 says we can rejoice too when you run into problems and trials. It says to rejoice. What, who's crazy to rejoice when it's bad? Man, when, I'm, when things are going bad for me, and even today, so I don't come out of my room. I'm like, Mom, I'm going to stay in my room all day. And How many of you know we have days like that too? Sometimes we think God builds our faith through favorable circumstances, but, the biblical, but in the Bible, it seems as he does the, some of the best of his faith building in times of trials, in times of testing. Have you ever prayed, God, grow my faith, and almost immediately, here comes the trial? God delights to increase the faith of his children. I say, and I say it deliberately, trials, difficulties, and sometimes defeat are the very food of faith. We should take them out of his hands as evidences of his love and his care for, for us in developing more and more faith. If you're in a trial or trouble this morning... I got news for you. You're on track. God's building your faith. God's building your faith. He's building your faith. I seen somebody come today and they've been taking Ubers and I give them props, man, because they don't live close. But I, would, I felt like telling that person, one day, God's going to bless you with the car pretty soon. I don't know if they're ready for that. I, I just felt like God's going to bless you with the, God's going to bless you. Mm. Okay, if you, don't, if you don't want the blessing, I'll take it. And that leads me to the third, the, the, the next lesson is the lesson of, the, of being around the right people. See, Romans 10, 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing, and that is hearing the good news of Christ, or hearing the word of God. If you rewind it to verse 14, it says, how shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? 
See, here's the widow and her son in dire strait, and all of a sudden, Elijah shows up. All of a sudden, here comes the team from California shows up, knocking on your door, and saying, God has a plan for your life. God wants to do something in this city. God wants to bless your life. Thank God for the men and women that he sent in our path that preached faith and that preached the good news and that elevated our lives. Ah, I was a no good for nothing. Now, now, now for me, now I'm going to say this. I was a drug addict, a prisoner. When I came, I don't know why that church took me in the way they did, but they started to preach faith into my life. They said, God wants to use you, and I'm a businessman now, but I used to be in that recovery home. But God healed my heart, and he gave me faith and vision to believe for great things, and he's going to do the same for you. And it built up my faith. I own this home, and, and I was like, my God, if you could do it, and you could have a good marriage, and you could have good church, then I want the same thing. It built faith in my life. I thank God for the preachers he sent. That's why Sunday mornings are so important. Well, I don't have to, I serve God at home. Well, the Bible says don't forsake the assembly of the saints. Why do you think it says that? Because he wants to build your faith for the week. It's like you're running, you're taking your car out and you don't come Sunday. And you're running on empty. Or you, you know, you won't get the best brand. You know, the best top level notch of gas, you'll get the lowest. And some people survive like that, but you see that their faith, there's no works in their faith. Elijah hears from the Lord and he says, go into the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. And there's a widow who will feed you. I give her my instruction. He says, I have commanded her to feed you. See, when God puts the right people in your life, they come and challenge your faith, just like Elijah did. Now imagine how hard it would have been for her to make that first piece of bread for him. That wasn't, that wasn't an easy thing to do. I like bread a lot. Especially from Panera, especially from those places. You know, the Italian bakeries. They don't have those in the West Coast, so the Italian bakeries, my God. So for me to give a little piece of bread, we're going to fight. I know some of you, you would literally fight. And he says, listen, cook for me. And Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go, go, you know. But that's where, you, that's where the right people, God places the right people around you. All of a sudden, they start to begin to, they begin to elevate your life. They begin to elevate your faith. And, you know, we believe in redemption. If that we come in one way, either it's economically, spiritually, socially, uh, uh, personality-wise, and God begins to elevate us. We're not the same individuals that we once were because he grows our faith. The last lesson, not only the lesson, as we go into the last lesson, God takes Elijah into, it's the lesson of Zarephath. Now Zarephath, the word Zarephath in the original writing, it means to be refined. I could give you the word, you won't, it won't, it'll sound foreign, but it's sakrifath. It means to be refined. See, both Elijah and the widow. See, I could imagine Elijah going and saying, hey, listen, um, you know, God said he commanded you. But when he asked, see, God told Elijah, I commanded her. But when he gets there, the lady, the lady doesn't know what's going on. So what do you think Elijah thought? Wait a minute, God, you told me to come here. I would have been tripping. God, you told me to come to Boston. But you haven't given us a church building yet. We haven't broke a hundred yet. God, our finances aren't there yet. I could, I could be saying all this. But I commanded you to go, and I commanded her to feed you. I would have been tripping in my mind, like, wait a minute, did I make the right decision? Have you ever been there? What do you mean come to Victory Ash? Those pastors are crazy. They always want to take me out. They always want to come to my house. They always want me out there. What these pastors are. You think we're crazy? 
Well, let me tell you, we are. Amen. Let's settle that now. We will get in your life. We will challenge you if you allow us. Because that's our job. Our job is to see your faith grow, to be equipped for every good work. Now, we can't make people. We've seen that. People just choose what they want to do. But we're looking for people that say, I want to grow. Oh, I want to grow. See, they were both in the school of faith, Elijah and the widow. See, we must be trained by faith so that our faith will be seen and heard throughout the world. As they come up, the, I want to tell you a story of the, one of the most decorated Olympic athletes of all time, Michael Phelps. How many of you heard of Michael Phelps? He was a swimmer who had 28 medals, and 23 of those medals were gold. But one of the most famous stories of his gold medals was what happened in Beijing. His coach, Bob Bowman, gave, gave, would give Michael Phelps, as they come up to the keyboard, the, the, Bob Bowman gave um, Michael Phelps, before he would in, even enter into these uh, um, competitions, he would give him the knowledge, such knowledge of the pool, such knowledge of strokes, and everything that would encompass that swim meet before he even gets into the big competitions. Bowman at the University of Michigan at times would sabotage the practices that Michael Phelps would have. They said Bowman would take pins and poke holes into Phelps' goggles. So when he jumped in the water, when he jumped in, water would start filling up his goggles. He had to learn to swim with the water inside his goggles. He said sometimes, it was said to, of him to sometimes when Michael Phelps would jump into the water, Bowman would turn off the lights in the auditorium. And it would be absolutely pitch, pitch black in the natatorium. But he had to finish. Yeah, but, he, but he knew he had to finish. He, he had to know the pool. He had to know how many strokes on each turn, when the wall was coming up, when he had to, to do the flip. And, and he had to do this even when the lights were turned off and he couldn't see because his goggles were full of water. He was familiar with every pool setting because he practiced so much over and over again. But knowledge of the pool, the stroke, the knowledge of the course he was swimming, he knew what was going on at all times. I'm talking about in every competition. Bowman would train Michael in these conditions day in and day out. Goggles, holes in his goggles, waters, that means he couldn't see. Lights, so he, then the lights would go off, he couldn't see even more. He knew it would take so many strokes to get across so, this length of pool. But in Beijing, it, in Beijing Olympics, at 9.56 in the morning, behind the starting block, the announcer said Michael Phelps' name. He stood on the block and did what he did every time since he was 12 years old. He flapped his arms three times, getting ready to jump into the pool. And, when, and leaving, immediately as a gunshot, leaving the platform, Phelps felt immediately something was wrong. As soon as he hit the water, water moisture started filling his goggles. He couldn't tell if they were leaking from the bottom, the top. But as soon as he broke the water surface and began swimming, he was hoping that it was over and his conditions would change. But by the second turn for the finals, everything was getting more blurry. As he approached the third turn in the final lap, the cups of the goggles were completely filled and Michael couldn't see a thing. I couldn't see, he, 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 said, he, he quotes this later, I couldn't see the line of the pools, the bottom of the black team marking the approach wall. I couldn't see anything. And at that moment, Phelps said that all the training, 
He said it all came back to his memory. He said, I already studied this pool. I have the knowledge of this pool. I have knowledge of how many it takes 21 strokes. How many, uh, you know, how many strokes it takes. How's it going to take me to the end? Phelps said, all the times his coach poked holes in his goggles, turned off the lights, and he had to swim in the dark. Michael estimated when he had made the final turn. He said, I estimated how many strokes the final push would take me, would require. He already knew it took 21. And he says that I already knew what it needed to do it. It was at that final point I felt totally relaxed. He said, I felt totally relaxed. About halfway through that final lap, and he began his final push, which usually for him happens around the 17th stroke. He said, I, couldn't, I could hear the crowd roaring, but I, since I couldn't see anything, I didn't know who they were cheering for. He hit his 21st stroke and knew that the glide would take him to the wall. As he takes off his glasses, he looks up to the scoreboard and he sees next to his name, not only first place, but a new world record. See, he was trained. He was trained by the situations of life. He was trained by trials and trouble. He was refined in that school. And that's very much like me and you, that God will allow things to come and to, do, and to challenge our faith. But my friend, we're being trained. We're, we're being developed. We're being, we're being, we're being uh, produced to have great character and, and greater faith. And if you let faith train us, my friend, then nothing that we're about to face is going to face us. We are going to get our building one day, and you are going to give. We're going to go into the prisons one day. And guess what? Well, I was never in prison. But you're going to have such a burden for the prisoner. Who says you have to be like them to reach them? You know who reached me? Somebody was not even a drug addict reached me. But I knew that they loved me and I knew that they loved God. That person poured their heart out for me. God's going to grow our faith here. We, we just did one of the, our first pledges, $5,000. That's nothing for us. But we thought it was a pretty big amount for our church, right? We raised $4,800 from our church. Well, you might say, well, oh. it's not about money. It's about faith. And if we're going to be the church God called us to be, to impact all of New England, all the East Coast, and, and, and eventually all the world. Because I don't know if you know this, this is a world-class city. All nationalities islands countries are represented here even mexico is represented here but we're gonna we're gonna build faith here we're gonna challenge you to be a part of the team because that builds faith we're gonna challenge you to give of your finances because that builds faith we're gonna challenge you to start your own businesses if that's what god's called you to do because that builds faith we're going to challenge you to raise your children to the things of God because that builds faith. We're going to challenge you to get married in this ministry because that builds faith. Oh, we're starting to see what we're preaching starting to come to pass within the hearts of people. I want to give my house. We, we need a men's home. We need a women's home. Well, we don't charge them anything because we have a church of faith. When we walk into the, to the mayor's office, thank you, Mayor Wu. She's like, what do you need? We love the work you do. We don't need nothing. Because we have a church of faith. Huh? Don't get me wrong. 
If they give us a million dollar check and no strings attached, we'll take it. Mama didn't raise no fool. I ain't no dummy. Right? We'll take it, right? Make the check out to um, Danny Carrera Ministries. No, I'm saying. No, but we're not depending on that. We're believing God's going to bless you. But you got to grow your faith. You got to grow your faith. You got to grow your faith. We have men living with us in our discipleship home. We're growing their faith right now. Pay your tithes. Be faithful at work. Dress like a man of God. Talk like a man of God. Because wherever you... See, the Bible says this. Another thing faith does. Another thing that faith does is your faith is heard about. The Bible, Paul writes, I've heard about your faith. I've heard about your strong faith. Your, your faith is going forth throughout the world. That's what the Bible says. So our faith is heard about. You know, a few, uh, a few years ago, I have a friend that was in prison. I known him when we were kids. We were, and uh, I lost track of him, and I met another guy in our church. He goes, hey, I, I said, I know so-and-so. And he goes, yeah, he's up here in Pelican Bay, one of the worst prisons in California. And I said, well, give me his address. So I wrote him. His name's Paul. I said, Paul, man, you know, remember me as Danny? Bye, bye, bye. They told me about my conversion. And um, a few months later, he writes me back. And he says, you know what's funny? He goes, of course I remember you. Because he he's been in prison since he's 18 years old. I'm 46, so he's about 47 right now. So all this time's passed. And he goes, the other day, we were in Pelican Bay Prison Yard. The, one of the worst prisons in California. Mexican mafia, everything. And he's all, you're, I have a, another friend that I grew up with from where the street I was from. Um, I, I don't know his real name. I know him by Fox. I forget his real name. It's been a long, long time. His name's Fox. And he's, I was talking to your homeboy Fox. And he told me about what happened to you. He told me the things you're doing for God. And he says, keep doing it, man. He goes, there's no hope for me. But thank God that he did that for you. And I wrote him back. I said, no, there is hope for you. Because the God I serve, he could, he could save you in prison walls. He could save you out here. It doesn't matter. All you got to do is turn your heart to See, your faith is being heard. Oh, I remember Manny and you, Bedford. He was a no good for nothing when they see Manny now. Good look. Also single and available. Come on, somebody. We're doing registration after. Amen. Huh? Jesse from North Carolina or Worcester. They like, pastor, it's not Worcester. It's Worcester. They should spell it like that then, I'm saying. Huh? When I hear about them, when I hear about Jonathan, it's good to see him here this morning. I know you. Huh? Listen, we need to build your faith. Now, I want you to get one of these out. Just get one out. Don't, and then after we're done, don't throw it away on the floor. Like, eat it or something. I don't know. Plant it in your backyard. I know not everybody wants this kind of Christianity. And you have a place here. Don't get me wrong. We're going to take you on the faith journey with us. And when you start seeing what we're preaching about, it starts coming to pass. When you start seeing people's families getting saved. My son, I, I didn't bring a picture of him, but my son's on that prayer board, especially because I, I, I have to get um, pictures ordered. But that's an answer prayer. Don't get me wrong. It's not done yet. We're still believing God for his salvation, but at least he made the first step. He used to tell me, I'm never going to the men's home. And I'd be like, boy, you're going right now. But when I couldn't force him, I had to get on my face before God, and I had to cry out to God. And I said, God, you don't know me anything. You don't know, I've been a missionary. We started churches. We've planted homes and recovery homes. 
but you don't owe me nothing. But if you could do one thing for me, save my children. And we're starting to see it come to pass. If I could get one. Oh. This morning, that's a little mustard seed. The Bible says it's all the faith. If you have this kind of faith, you can move mountains. But I don't want my faith to stay there. If I can move mountains with this kind of faith, what can I do with great faith? I'm believing God for impossible things. We're looking at a building right now, almost $20,000. It's not even, we cannot even meet that with the current budget we have. We're looking at it with eyes of faith. And when we get a little bit afraid, our pastor preaches faith into us. We don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to happen. Maybe not that building, but it's going to be a building where we can have service every day of the week. We can have the church open, people coming in. We don't have to close the doors, except when it's time to go to sleep, amen? We'll be up all night. I mean, we could have hotlines for that and stuff like that. Because we do want to reach, you know, we were out in the streets yesterday. We are out in the streets. Witnessing the people. People, they don't want to hear about God, but we still love them. We have faith for them. And if that's you this morning, listen, I know that's not everybody. If you say, you know what, my faith is here. Or maybe you have no faith. Maybe you don't know the Lord. I'm going to give you an opportunity to accept him this morning to, or rededicate your life. But if you say, you know what, I want to grow my faith. My faith. And now many of us here, I've talked to a few people and I know that we doubt our faith sometimes. But that's what the preaching of God's word is for. That's what, the, when you read his word, it builds faith in you. The Bible says his word is living and powerful and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces the heart, the intents and thoughts of the mind. When you're, thinking, when you're thinking all messed up, get in God's word, realign your thought life. When you're in the flesh, some of you are flesh monsters. Always negative. You got to get back in the word and see through God's eyes. When I get negative, I get back in God's word. When I want to give up on people, I get back in God's word. When I feel like quitting, I get back in God's word. When I get mad at my wife, I get back in God's word. And I don't do that often. I have a great wife. With every head bowed, with every head bowed this morning, if you say, you know what, I don't know Jesus as my personal Savior, but I want to start my faith journey. On the count of three, if that's you, lift your hands. One, two, three, if that's you. If there's anybody here that wants to give their life to the Lord and rededicate their life. If there's anybody here. Praise the Lord. God bless you, sister. All right, I want you, I want everybody to stand, and we're going to say a prayer together. Then I'm going to pray for one more thing, very simple thing. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I know that I've sinned against you, but I believe in my heart that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. I confess you as my Lord and Savior, come into my heart, take control of my life. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining our podcast. We pray this message builds your faith, encourages, and strengthens you in your walk with the Lord. If you would like to partner with us, sow a seed today. Head on over to our website at voboston.org and hit the giving link located at the top of the page. God bless you.